Well, one of my favorite things about being home and back in town is putting my kids to bed. Uh, many of you know about Jack, my four-year-old son, and Zoe, our two-year-old girl. I tell you guys stories about them all the time. And the other night, I was putting Zoe to bed, and uh, actually, I've got a picture for you guys of Zoe, just so you know what she looks like. Here's, here's Zoe in the foreground, and in the background is Mater, our new puppy. And so if I, if I seem a little sleep-deprived up here today, it's not because my sabbatical was unrestful. My sabbatical was great. It's this puppy who wakes us up in the middle of the night. But Zoe loves animals. She just loves them, and she especially loves puppies. And so we finally broke down and got Zoe a puppy. And she likes to follow Mater around and do whatever he's doing. So, uh, so in this picture, Mater is actually sleeping. And Zoe is uh, pretending to be a puppy who's sleeping, but she's actually totally awake. And this is kind of what Zoe does. She follows Mater around the house. And uh, somehow, I don't know how it happened, we became stuffed animal hoarders. Uh, it, it happened one toy at a time, uh, as people have gotten stuffed animals for Zoe and as we have gotten stuffed animals for Zoe, uh, this uh, mountain of stuffed animals has grown and grown on her bed. And uh, Zoe right now, when she says the word cute, it comes out cuke. And she'll look at a stuffed animal or we'll just be driving. She'll go, aw, cuke, cuke, daddy. Well, the other night I was putting Zoe down and she was just really distraught because we had uh, literally, I have her tucked in and there's a, a mountain of stuffed animals on each side of her and going over her, but one of them apparently was missing. And so she, she starts to have a little bit of a two-year-old meltdown and she's saying, more cuke, daddy, more cuke, more cuke. Like, you know, all of these stuffed animals are great, but I need a little bit more. And I started thinking about this as I laid down next to her because I have no idea where the other animal is and I'm trying to comfort her. And I started thinking, you know, where did she get this from that she always needs something more to be happy or to be at peace? I mean, did this come from my side of the family or did this come from, you know? And I thought about it and it, de it definitely came from me. It definitely came from me. See, many times I operate from this assumption. If I can just change this one thing in my life, then I'll be at peace. If I can change this one thing, or if I can keep this one thing from changing, then I will be at peace. Of course, I don't do this with puppies. I do this with cars or with education or with my work environment or my home environment. And I tend, to, I tend to fixate on something and think, you know, if I could just change that one thing, then everything that's unsettled in me would be settled in me. Can any of you relate to that? Did any of you ever think, you know, if I just had just a little more set aside for retirement, or if I just lived in a different neighborhood, or, or if my spouse wasn't like this, or if I had a different spouse, or if my kids weren't like this, if this one thing would change, if my grandkids wouldn't be like that, or if this prodigal child wouldn't make those decisions, or, or if I didn't have this health problem, if this one thing would change, then I'd be at peace. Then everything would be okay in my life. We all have this tension in different ways, and we all express it in different ways. It's an, it's an internal, we're internally unsettled, and we look to some external thing to settle us. You could put it this way. We exhaust ourselves pursuing 
outer peace, that one thing that we think will give us peace. But here's the irony, outer peacefulness, you can get that thing, and it doesn't actually guarantee that you will have inner peace. We tell ourselves that one change in circumstance, that's what I need. But if we look around us, or even if we look, just if we stop and look in the rearview mirror of our own lives, we see, well, you know what, I, I did get the house, or I did get that spouse, or I did get that job. And now here I am, and once again, I'm unsettled inside, and now I think it's some other thing. And if I get that thing, I saw this so much when I worked as a reporter down in the Phoenix area. Uh, I worked in Scottsdale and did a lot of stories with folks down there who had uh, inordinate amounts of money. One percenters, they're now called, right? People who, if they want to stay at the Ritz-Carlton, they don't rent a room, they rent a floor. People who uh, don't just have, you know, a car or two, they've got a collection of dozens of cars that are each worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And as I would interview different people like that for different stories, I, I started to notice in them that with all the outer peacefulness, all the outer calm that they had surrounded themselves with, they didn't have any more inner peacefulness or inner calm than everyone else in the world. In fact, I remember specifically interviewing Don Laughlin, who started Laughlin, Nevada. And uh, I was staying with Don Laughlin on the top floor of his casino in Laughlin, Nevada, looking out over the river, and he's showing me uh, these private jet models that he has of his multiple private jets. And Don Laughlin, or some people say it, Laughlin, he, he, I will never forget, he told me this. He said, John, if I could go back to being 12 years old and have nothing, I would do it in a heartbeat. Why? Because this man spent his life pursuing outer peace, and as he gets to the end of life, he realizes all of it, all that effort, none of it delivered inner peace. John Bunyan was a Christian writer hundreds of years ago. In fact, he did most of his writing from prison cells. Here's a great John Bunyan quote. He, he wrote this, if we do not have quiet in our minds, in other words, if we're not quieted internally, then outward comforts, will do no more for us than a golden slipper on a gouty foot. You know what gout is on a foot? When a foot is infected and dying with gout. And he says, if you just focus on getting the stuff around you good, but you haven't worked on your inner you, it's like putting a golden slipper on a gouty foot. It's ironic that we spend so much of our lives hunting for calm in our outer circumstances because the more you watch other people and the more you actually reflect on your own life, it becomes clear you could actually, you could finally get it. You could have complete outer calm. And when it happens, it doesn't actually deliver inner calm. Uh, you can do this in one drive. You can, in one day, you can go from the multi-million dollar mansions on Camelback Mountain and you drive south and you cross the Mexico border and you go into the slums. And, and, and you can see that here's people in the Phoenix area who have every outer comfort, and internally, they're not comforted, they're not at peace. And then in Mexico, you find children literally playing in trash, and they have an inner peace. 
here's what I've realized. You can have outer peacefulness like that, but lack inner peace. And here's the flip side. You can have inner peace even when everything around you is not peaceful. In every city I've lived in, I've found these two mirror people. Every city I've lived in, I have found a middle-aged woman who has a good husband who is unhappy and is convinced that if she had a different husband, she would be happy. And in every city I've lived in, I have also found a middle-aged woman who's married to an alcoholic or a drunk, and that woman has inner peace and joy. Her life isn't peaceful. Her life isn't great, but she is. You can have outer peacefulness but lack inner peace, and you can lack outer peacefulness and have inner peace. So, so which one's worth pursuing? Which one should you spend your life pursuing? Should you spend your life pursuing outer peace or inner peace? Well, uh, this is a truth that even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you're not a Christian, you could take this wisdom with you today and start in your life pursuing inner peace instead of outer peace because the evidence is clear when we look around us. But here's the tension. If you start to pursue inner peace, how do you do it? How do you get inner peace? Can you go on to Amazon.com and fill your shopping cart with inner peace? Well, people try. It doesn't work. You could go to a yoga class. You could memorize certain uh, little paragraphs and catchy, inspiring quotes. There's this tension that once we realize the real solution is inner peace, well, how do we actually get it? Where does inner peace come from? Well, God must have known we'd struggle with this because he gives us a solution to this tension. He gives us a person, a source of peace that springs up from within us. And here's how you can summarize it. In unthinkable difficulty, in your whatever it is that has you unsettled, in times of difficulty, God's spirit... The Holy Spirit of God, who's available to those who follow Christ, he breathes an untouchable peace. So, so in times of difficulty, when everything outside, there is no outer peace. For followers of Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us and is available to bring an inner peace that is untouchable. In other words, the gnarly, wrinkled fingers of circumstances, they can't reach into your soul and take your peace because your peace never depended on what was around you. Your peace comes from within you. This is what we're talking about today. In unthinkable difficulty, God's spirit breathes. He doesn't just bring an internal peace, but he breathes it. The word that we translate spirit in the New Testament is a Greek word, pneuma, uh, and, and it means wind or breath. That's where the word pneumonia comes from, is a problem with your breath, with your wind, with your lungs. The Spirit is the breath of God. The Spirit is God himself, but God decides to use this word of breath most often when he describes the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is moving and living and life-giving. So we're going to look today at two examples of followers of Jesus who did not have peace in their outer circumstances, but were promised an inner peace, an untouchable inner peace 
through the Spirit of God. And the first one is in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we're told this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. That's kind of like saying the church throughout Prescott, Yavapai, and Arizona. Enjoyed a time of peace. It, the church, was strengthened and encouraged by whom? By the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, now these churches are not church buildings. This is gatherings of people, and the Holy Spirit is strengthening these people. The Holy Spirit is encouraging these people, and, and their, their number grows, and they grow in their maturity in their fear of the Lord. Here's the big takeaway from that verse. The same Spirit who empowers us to live for God also encourages us as we follow God. When we started this series, Carried, we uh, discovered from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when you can't, God's Spirit can. When you and your uh, life with God come up to a barrier where you want to do what's right, you want to be a better husband, you want to quit that addiction, you want to do the right thing, but you just can't, well, that's when God's Spirit can. And we saw that the Spirit of God exists in the people of God to empower us to do the will of God. And we saw this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And in that scenario, you may remember, Jesus gives a prediction. He comes to a group of 120 very ordinary Christians. The only thing that's not ordinary about these Christians is that they're even more discouraged than any of us in here. And here's why. Their leader, Jesus, he was recently publicly executed in Jerusalem. They live in Jerusalem. The, the dried brown and black blood of Jesus is still on the stones in Jerusalem. These 120 people are just trying to survive. They're kind of hiding for their lives. And Jesus comes to them and says, through you, I'm going to change the world. And I know you're all here in Jerusalem right now and you're kind of hiding out for your lives, but I'm going to send you out and you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> These people are discouraged. These people are not world changers. They, they don't have a bunch of assets. They're hiding for their lives. How are they going to go change the world? And you may remember from that message, when you can't, God's spirit can, that Jesus' prediction came with a promise. He said, you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live for God. And today we see the Holy Spirit also encourages us as we follow Jesus, and it's hard sometimes. And he encourages us. He picks us up. He helps us out. What I love about Acts 9, verse 31, is that it's eight chapters after Acts 1-8. Jesus promises this 120 people, you're going to go change the world. And specifically, you're going to start in Judea and Samaria. And here we are in Acts 9, verse 31. And it says, the church throughout Judea and Samaria. Jesus' promise has come true because the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of believers, empowering them to do what they could not do on their own. And now here we see the Spirit strengthens and encourages. The same Spirit who empowers us also encourages us. Let me give you guys the context here of Acts 9, verse 31. And in this context, you're going to see the peace and the encouragement that these believers had. It didn't come from their outer circumstances in. It came from within the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the context of Acts 9.31. Well, not only has Jesus been crucified, but a rising church leader, Stephen, was recently surrounded by a mob in a public square. And as still happens in the Middle East, people started throwing stones at him till he fell down. And they kept throwing rocks at him until he died. Stephen had been publicly executed by a mob. Persecution then broke out against all Christians. And Christians at this time met in homes. They'd meet in a living room and they'd eat some food and they'd pray together and they'd read Jesus' words together. And all of a sudden, armed men are breaking into these homes, grabbing Christians by the hair, dragging them out and throwing them into prison. Even Christian women, Acts 8.3 tells us, have been thrown into prison. This is not a time where these people have peace in their hearts because their circumstances are going great. And there are people, surely there are believers who've been praying, Jesus, let this persecution end, help things get better. And you know what? Their prayers have not yet been answered the way they'd like to see it. And yet they're strengthened and encouraged. Let's look at verse 31 again. Then the church, that's us, the people at the time, was strengthened and encouraged by the apostle Paul, by John, by a great miracle, by great teachers. No, by the Holy Spirit. Put it this way, this encouragement did not come from outer circumstances in the way that we tend to want it to come. This encouragement came from within. I remember a day in ninth grade, my freshman year of high school, when I was standing in the hallway of my high school crying. I went to a really strict private school, and I was... I was a class clown, okay? I was always talking and making jokes and not paying attention to the teachers. You know, so class clown, strict private school, not a great combination, right? So I got a lot of detentions. I got in trouble frequently. And, uh, I, I, but I'll never forget this day in ninth grade in my science class because for once in my life, perhaps the only time in my high school career, for once I was not talking. Okay, I was sitting in the back row and I was quietly drawing a dirt bike. I remember it very well. And, and I'm sitting there and the teacher has his back to the class doing whatever teachers do at the front of the class. I'm drawing my motorcycle and all of a sudden some, some kids start snickering and the teacher just whips around and he goes, Dickerson, detention, see me after class. Ah, oh, man, I spent the rest of the class thinking, how am I going to explain to this guy that for once in my life, I actually wasn't talking. You know, I started thinking, maybe, yeah, maybe if I show him the motorcycle, you know, really, I, I wasn't talking. I was busy drawing this dirt bike. Look at this thing. I spend the rest of the class kind of coming up with my plan. And I go up to him at the end of class and talk to him and, and tell him all that. You know, I know, I, I know I'm kind of a messed up kid and I get in trouble all the time, but you got to believe me, I'm not a liar. And honestly, I wasn't talking. And here's my dirt bike. Look at this dirt bike. This is what I was drawing. I was not talking. And he said, you know, he called me a liar and just said, here's your detention. Well, there was something about the injustice of this male authority figure. The one time I'm innocent. Something about that with my little 14-year-old hormones. And my spirit was just crushed. I was just just crushed. I was, you know, I knew I'd get in trouble when I got home. And so I, I felt the, the 
tears starting to come into my eyes, and I didn't want to get made fun of for crying, so I just kind of sprint walked to my locker, opened up my one little square foot of privacy there in the high school, and I kind of stick my head in there, and I've got my hand on the door, and you know, if you're a guy, you know the feeling, you're just holding these tears, and you're not going to let them out. And then I felt this hand on my shoulder, and I looked and it was my brother Paul. You know, I was, I'm a scrawny freshman, the runt of the litter in high school. And here's my brother. He's this senior. And he, he just came alongside me, and put his arm around me. And he said, hey, buddy, you're going to be okay. You know, I'm weak. I'm imploding. He's strong. Comes alongside me. Well, this is the same posture that Scripture describes the Holy Spirit in, in your inner person. When your inner person is crying, when your inner person is discouraged, when your inner person is hiding from the world in your one square foot of space, the Holy Spirit comes alongside, puts his arm around you, and he says, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. In fact, that's what the Greek word here means for spirit. It means one who comes alongside. God's spirit is one who comes alongside in our pain and our difficulty. That word there in Acts 9.31, that, that the church was encouraged by the spirit. It's a Greek word paraclete, and it means to come alongside. It's this beautiful word. It's got all these dimensions to it uh, of different ways that a person comes alongside and comforts or counsels or strengthens or encourages. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God says, I mean, we're told this is, this, is, this is history. This really happened. There's these Christians and they're being persecuted and yet they're encouraged and it's not from their outer circumstances in. It's from within and it's the Spirit of God who comes alongside comforting them. Jesus uses this same word in John chapter 16 when he describes the Holy Spirit. And in that text, it's translated counselor. In fact, this word paraclete in ancient texts was often used of an attorney. You know, if you've got a good attorney, if you have to go to court, then when you stand before the judge, the attorney comes alongside you and you're in this foreign place and you're intimidated and the attorney comes alongside you and says, uh, I have rights to be here. I'm qualified for these reasons and I'm with this person. I represent this person. And, and the spirit comes alongside you to advocate for you, to comfort you, to encourage you, even to assist you. Let's look at the verse where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit this way in John chapter 16, verse 7. Here Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, I'll unpack this a little more in a moment, but can I just say I have a hard time believing this verse is true. I have a hard time believing Jesus when he says this, and here's why. Jesus says, it's better that I go to heaven and you have the Holy Spirit in you than that I physically be on earth with you. And every time I read it, I tend to think, you know, Jesus, honestly, 
I kind of think if, if when I woke up in the morning and I was driving to work, if you were riding shotgun with me, I kind of think that would be better if Jesus was riding shotgun in my car or if Jesus was in my home, right? Because then every time I got in an argument with, with Mel, he could say who was right, you know? And, well, that would be bad for me, actually. But, you know, but I mean, think about it. Jesus is saying, think about what he's saying here. He's saying, it's better for you that I not be physically on earth because the one who comes alongside is going to come and live within you. Well, if that's actually true, then, man, have we maybe not fully understood what we have in the Holy Spirit? Have we maybe not fully understood the encouragement and the comfort that's available to us from God's Spirit living within us? Jesus says internal peace from his Spirit within is better than Jesus himself walking around on earth. It's better for you that I go away because unless I go away, the counselor, the one who comes alongside, will not come to you. But when I go, I'll send him to you. Now, let's look at the context of John 16 because it's one thing for me or you to think, you know, Jesus, I have a hard time understanding what you're saying here. I think it'd be better if you were riding shotgun with me to work than if I had your Holy Spirit in me. That's how we feel. Think how the disciples must have felt. The 12 guys who Jesus is saying this to, for three years they've been following him, and when they followed him, they left everything. They left their houses, they left their families, they left their careers. Many of them, like Peter, who was a fisherman, they had a family career, a family business that they were going to inherit. Now they've been gone for three years. They can't just run back now. You know, one of the little brothers has the business now. I mean, the disciples, when they followed Jesus, they had no backup plans, Because of what Jesus has been teaching as they've been following him, they don't have a bunch of money and savings. They have no plan B. And now these guys who've left everything, Jesus says, I'm leaving you. Man, they've got to feel so abandoned. They do feel abandoned because verse 6 tells us this. The disciples are, quote, filled with grief. Jesus, what do you mean it's better for us that you leave? How can this possibly be? Well, it can possibly be because of the comfort of the Holy Spirit who lives in us if we'll really get to know him, if we'll really fan him into flame, if we'll really look to him when we need comfort, counsel, encouragement, instead of looking to the things around us. You realize when Jesus came down to earth, God, who's omnipotent and omnipresent, meaning he can be everywhere, he humbled himself. He limited himself when he came down in the person of Jesus. Because of that limiting, Jesus, when he was on earth in a human body, he couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't be in Paris and London and Jerusalem at one time. Just like us, he could be one place at a time. So you realize if Jesus was here and he was riding shotgun with me to work, he wouldn't be with any of you at that time, right? That's how Jesus was when he was on earth. And he says, it's better that I go away because I'm not going to be one person on earth that you need to try to break through the crowd to get to. Instead, I'm going to give you my spirit who lives in you, who's always with you. When you feel abandoned, when you feel alone, when you're getting wheeled into surgery, when you're in a hospital waiting room, when you're at a graveside, I will always be with you, within you, in my spirit. That's why it's better. 
See, the day is coming when we cross that finish line and God calls us home to heaven. The day is coming when we will be with God in heaven and we will have outer peacefulness like we've never seen on earth. And Jesus will be there and we'll be with him. And we'll also have the inner peacefulness of his Holy Spirit. But until then, we're in a fallen world that's infected by sin and it's one or the other. And so you can put it this way. Life here in a fallen world will always be unpeaceful around us. Your life will always be unpeaceful to some degree because you're not home yet. You're not in heaven yet. And so Jesus gives us an internal spring of peace that comes up from within. You guys know what a spring is? Let's talk about the difference between a spring of water and a pool of water. If you've got a pool of water and you live somewhere cold, we had a pool in Michigan, and we had to drain it every winter because it would freeze. It would get so cold there that everything would freeze, and people would freeze. You know, It was so cold in Michigan. And the, the pool would freeze, and when water freezes, it expands, so you have to empty it, otherwise it breaks the pool. So every fall, you drain your pool, and every spring, you refill it. Uh, you know, a pool's a reservoir, but a pool doesn't doesn't burble up water from within. And the difference between the Holy Spirit and any other form of peace is that the Holy Spirit burbles up from within. A a, a spring is where an underground water table where there's millions of cubic gallons of water, they they burble up. There's so much water under there, there's this hole in the ground and it just burbles up and it's, it's like an unlimited supply. And God says, my, my spirit will be within you. And no matter what's going on around you, he will from within you supply the peace that you need, the joy that you need. So here's a big takeaway for us. I cannot know this deep inner peace that comes from the spirit within me while I'm hunting for it in outer circumstances. Very many of us We know Christ, the Spirit lives in us, and he's put his hand on our shoulder to comfort us, and we've brushed him away because we are busy looking for our peace in that thing that needs to change, or that person who needs to start making better decisions, or that thing that needs to not change. There's an old song that goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, it's kind of that way with us in our peace. We tend to look for peace in all the wrong places. If we're followers of Christ, we've got this source of peace within us, but instead of looking to that, we, we look to the house to sell or to the next house or to the spouse or we could just make this much more a month or this much more a year, have this much more set aside for retirement. Meanwhile, there's a, a, a spring of peace within us. So here's my question. What circumstances or outer thing have you been looking to in your pursuit of peace? What's the stuffed animal in your life? Where in your life have you been seeking to achieve inner peace through some outer change of circumstances? And here's, you know, will you choose today to redirect your heart and your hope and stop seeking peace through external circumstances? You know, when you're troubled within, you can call out to the Holy Spirit. You can say, God, I I need the comfort of your Holy Spirit right now. 
I need the encouragement of your spirit right now. I need the guidance of your spirit in my heart and in my inner person right now. Do you realize that God's spirit is a person and he loves you? God's spirit, I mean, he's in dwelling in you right now. Scripture calls your body his temple. He lives in you and he loves you. And he longs to come alongside you, to encourage you. Next question, will you begin seeking inner peace from the Holy Spirit with the same amount of energy and intensity that you had been seeking outer peace through the next promotion, the next degree, the next relationship, the next change? Will you choose to seek your peace through the internal comfort of the Holy Spirit? I want to invite you to try this. I invite you to try this for just the next five days. This afternoon, when, when all of a sudden you feel a little unsettled and you start to think, well, if I do this, then, then everything will work out in that moment to remind yourself, God's spirit breathes peace that's untouchable, even in my times of difficulty. Just, I want to invite you to try it for just five days. It happens in the smallest situations and in the biggest things. It happened to me this morning while I was driving here. I was coming out of a parking lot, and there were these arrows, you know, and I was going the wrong way, and, uh, and it's no big deal. It's early in the morning. There's, like, nobody on the road. Well, this other driver approaches in a car, and, and the lady in this car is just furious at me, and, and, and I'm like, why is this lady so mad? I can just see it in her gestures, and she starts pointing, and she's like, and I realize, oh, it's the arrow, and this, this lady is just angry. And all of a sudden, my inner peace was just thrown off, right? I mean, it could just a, if you're like me, a little thing like that, all of a sudden, your inner peace, this, this angry person just stole my inner peace. And you know what I wanted to do? I'm, I, yeah, I'm driving a Land Cruiser that has a lift with pretty big tires, and she's in this tiny car. And I'm like, really? Really? I mean, because I could just drive right up over your bumper, onto your hood, just be a very grag, just run you over. All of a sudden, my internal peace is gone, and my immediate gut response is, I need to do some outer thing to recalibrate the world and get me my internal peace back. Meanwhile, I'm meditating on my sermon, right? And I realize, you know, this is, a, this is one of those times I could get all worked up and focused on, you know, how can I get this lady back? This isn't right. Or I can acknowledge my peace doesn't come from outer circumstances. And if every driver in the world is nice to me, that my peace doesn't come from without. It comes from the Holy Spirit within. And it was a little opportunity to just say, Holy Spirit, will you be my source of peace? Will you be my comfort? It's, it's, it's moments like that, and it's moments like I've had cancer for five years and it won't go away. It's the big stuff. It's the little stuff. It's any time you lack internal peace that you look to the counselor and the comforter in difficulty, God's spirit breathes untouchable peace. About seven years ago, I was working at my newspaper office, and I got a phone call from Mel, and she told me that we were pregnant, and we were so young. <laughs> we were kids. 
and we were already kind of, I was intimidated by life and the world at large, and now we were going to be parents, and we just started feeling all these emotions that you, you can't really put into words. And things were going really well for a couple months, and then one day I got another phone call from her, my same newspaper office, and, and she tells me that she's pretty sure she's having a miscarriage. So, so I leave my office, and I speed home, and when I get home, Mel is balled up on the couch just in, in just really bad pain. And I just sit there with her, uh, just powerless to do anything to help her. And then, you know, sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. It starts to thunderstorm, and the power goes out. You know, we're in Scottsdale, Arizona. It never thunderstorms or rains, hardly ever. And all of a sudden, there's this huge storm, and the power's knocked out, and we're sitting there in the dark. It just feels like the universe is against us. You know, we're just these kids trying to make our way through life, and it's just like the whole universe is against us. Get Mel situated, light some candles around the house, and and then I go in the bathroom downstairs, and and I I look at this little this little thing that was was going to be a life, and I can kind of see the little head and the little eyes, and start wondering if it was going to be a son or a daughter. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm a repressed male, and I never cry, and all of a sudden. I just burst out in these heaving sobs. And I shut the door because they don't want Mel to hear me crying. The promise of the Holy Spirit isn't that God will calm our storms. It's that he will calm us in the storms. And you know who was in in that bathroom with me when I'm barricaded in there and don't want Mel to hear and I don't want her to come and try and comfort me? Holy Spirit, the living, breathing presence of God, the one who comes alongside, who encourages us from within when everything around us is falling apart. He's there for you when you're hurting. He'll be there for you tomorrow. He'll be there for you next year. See, the Spirit comforts us not in our circumstances, but in our souls. And very often we miss his comfort because we are insisting that, God, if you want to comfort me, it has to be in my circumstances. And God, who knows us so much better than we know ourselves, says, I'm trying to comfort you where you actually need it, not in your circumstance, but in your soul. This is what Paul, the apostle, was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul, at this time, has a thorn in his flesh. He's got a chronic physical illness. He's got a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been starved. He's been imprisoned. He's lost all of his assets. He's lost everything. And Paul looks at this body of his that is dying from beatings and from malnourishment and from his thorn in the flesh. And he says, outwardly, I am wasting away. But inwardly, I am being renewed day by day. That's what the Holy Spirit does. (laughs) He doesn't always change our circumstances, but he ministers to our inner person. 
in unthinkable difficulty, God's Spirit breathes untouchable peace. I wonder, is there a physical place in your life where you could write that down or maybe another idea from this message so that the next time your mind starts to go down that road of, well, I have to control this, I need to obsess about this, I need to change this, you can see that on your bathroom mirror, you can see that on your dashboard, and you can remember, you know what, the solution isn't outer peace, the solution is inner peace, and because I'm a follower of Christ, I have access to it through the Holy Spirit. Imagine what your life could look like. If every time you had that impulse to start seeking your security or your inner peace through an outer change, every time you had that impulse, you could turn it to God and say, Holy Spirit, help me not run over that lady with my land cruiser. Or Holy Spirit, help me be content in my situation. Holy Spirit, help me be the spouse you want me to be. Holy Spirit, help me to to redirect my sight and stop looking for my peace in the outer circumstances. Help me to find it. In you, imagine what your life could look like. Let me close by telling you guys an incredible story that one of my good friends told me recently. Ralph Lucas, who's a brother of ours here at Cornerstone, the fire uh, Prescott Fire Battalion Chief here in town, told me this story a month or two ago. This happened this last summer. In fact, it happened at the gas station right here on Sheldon. Ralph's driving, he's in one of those big, giant red fire pickups. And, and a call comes over the radio that there's an infant who's unresponsive. And the address comes through, and Ralph is just blocks or a quarter mile or so away. So, so he turns on his sirens and lights and speeds to this gas station, gets to the gas station, and there's this, this mom there holding this baby, and she's just freaking out. And there's no one else around really helping. And Ralph goes and he grabs the baby and the baby's just burning up. I mean, it's summer and this baby is just hot. And, and he starts pouring bottles of water on it while he feels for a pulse. And there's, there's a pulse, but there's no breath. This baby is not breathing. And, and so, uh, you know, if you've taken CPR, that on an adult, you plug the nose to do rescue breaths and you, you breathe into the mouth. But on a on a baby, you just put your mouth right over their mouth and their nose. And so that's what Ralph does. And he starts breathing for this child, breathing these rescue breaths. And, and you know, biologically, when, when that happens, now the blood is moving again. Now, now this, this child who was probably not getting oxygen to its brain is now getting oxygen to its brain. And Ralph keeps administering these breaths and pouring on this water, trying to cool down this child. And then all of a sudden, and when Ralph tells the story, it just gives you chills. All of a sudden, the baby gasps. All of a sudden, the baby, you know, like a swimmer coming up from the deep end of a pool, just inhales this huge breath of air. And what's incredible, Ralph says, is that because the only time he's ever felt it in his life, the baby sucked the air out of his lungs. You know, that baby in that situation, you could have put it in the most beautiful nursery. You could have given all sorts of outer changes around the baby. There was one thing that could save that baby's life. It needed an inner change. It needed breath. 
And there was nothing else that could give it except another living, breathing entity who could give breath within. And when your inner person is suffocating, when your inner person is dying under the weight of the world crushing down on you, there's no outer change that can breathe life into you. The good news is, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit breathes the peace of God into the people of God, even in times of unthinkable difficulty. Would you pray together with me? Father, we want to know you as your people. You've given us this gift in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know that I don't fully know even a fraction of the comfort and peace and life that are available to me in your spirit. Lord, as a group of your men and women, we pray today, will you, will you help us to know you as comforter, as the one who comes alongside, as the one who breathes life into us? We want to know you in this way, Lord. Father, I know in this room there's a thousand and one external things that we've fixated on, that house, that person, that custody battle, that child, that health problem. Lord, you care about all those things, and so many of those things, they're not sinful things. But Lord, we've been looking for our peace in all the wrong places. Will you help us today to stop looking for peace that comes from the outside in and to start claiming the peace that lives within. Holy Spirit, we want to fan you into flame in our lives. When we can't follow God, we need your power to follow God. And when we get discouraged, when we get weighed down, we need you to come alongside and encourage. So, so God, will you forgive us for pushing you away when you've put your arm around our shoulder? You forgive us for stepping right by you in our race to find our outer peace. Will you help us to look to you as our source of peace? Breathe that peace into us, untouchable peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com prescottcornerstone.com